One morning in April of 2020, Felicia Singh came downstairs and saw something strange. Her dad, Dalip, was sitting on the couch. Usually at this time, he was in the middle of his shift driving a taxi in New York City. But when Felicia looked out the front window, his taxi wasn't in its usual spot. And I was like, hey, where's the taxi? Where It's not in the driveway. Did, like, and he's home. And that was weird. Like, who else would have the taxi? Felicia's dad had driven that cab for as long as she could remember. He even drove it to the hospital 30 years ago when Felicia was born. He has been driving my entire life. I don't know him doing something else. So that morning, confused, Felicia asked her dad, where's the taxi? And he was like, oh, I sold it. Like, I gave it to the, I gave it to the auto shop. I was like, you did what? Her dad sold his taxi because he could no longer afford the loan payments for his taxi medallion. A taxi medallion is a permit you need in order to own and drive a yellow cab in New York City. It's a number that you can find on the cab, either as the license plate or as an actual medallion attached to the car. These taxi medallions are incredibly expensive. And without one, it's illegal to drive a cab in the city. He's like, yeah, we don't, I don't have my medallion. I can't drive this taxi anymore. It's worthless. It doesn't, it's not worth anything. Her dad had sold his taxi for about $700. Almost right away, Felicia started crying. It's, it was, it's how we were able to make an income. It was how we were able to keep our bills paid. Like, what else is he going to be able to do at the, at the education level that he is, at the, at the age that he is? Felicia's dad had devoted decades of his life to driving this taxi. And it was sad for Felicia to see it end so abruptly and unceremoniously. This isn't how Felicia or her dad imagined their future unfolding. When her dad first moved here from India and bought the taxi medallion, it was supposed to be a lifeline, the thing that would offer their family a ticket to the middle class, to a nice, comfortable life. They didn't know that choosing this path of driving a taxi in New York City would instead become their ticket to extreme debt. I'm Rima Khreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. If you're a first-generation immigrant settling in New York City, driving a taxi cab can seem like a practical, decent way to provide for your family. But the reality is that for many drivers, this job, being part of this industry, has been a financial nightmare. To drive a taxi, thousands of drivers took out sometimes exploitative loans they could never afford. Right now, the average New York City taxi driver owes $500,000 on their taxi medallion. Half a million dollars, just for a permit, for the right to get into a taxi and drive it. This week, we narrow in on one family's story. A family that tried and tried to get ahead, only to get weighed down by the systems that were meant to help them. Felicia describes her dad, Dalip Singh, as a shy, laid-back guy. For years, he had a predictable routine. Every morning, he'd wake up before sunrise and get behind the wheel of his car. This is early morning prayer. And right away, he puts in his cassettes, these devotional songs he plays nonstop during his shift. He says one of the perks of his job is that he can basically spend his day in prayer. I listen like a continuous slow motion prayer. 
I don't think what happened yesterday, what is going to happen tomorrow. I stay in present because God teach me to stay in present. My mind is free. Then when the shift is over, he heads home and right away tends to his garden. This is all flowers. I have a rose garden back there, rose too, and zucchinis, oh. all beans there. I plant beans there too. His garden is like his sanctuary. It's something he takes a lot of pride in. And this is a berry tree. It's like a bear berries. Dilip immigrated to New York City from India. At first, he opened a store, but after getting robbed multiple times, he decided to become a taxi cab driver instead. It's no coincidence that most cab drivers in New York City, more than 90% of them, are immigrants. Driving can be appealing because it's relatively easy to get into, and English doesn't need to be your first language. For Dilip to operate his very own taxi, though, he first had to purchase that permit, known as a taxi medallion. I paid that time 250000 Wow, that's a lot of money. How did you get that money? All financing, broker financing, the bank financing those days. Dilip took out a $250,000 loan with 12% interest. Sure, it was a ton of money, but the medallion was meant to not only be his path to the middle class, but a nest egg for his future retirement. And for those first few years in the late 90s, it felt like that investment could really pay off. As Felicia remembers, her dad would get up at 3 a.m., do a 10-hour shift, and be home by the late afternoon. My dad would come home, and he'd say hello to everyone, and then he'd say, I had a good day today. And he goes, yeah, I made like two, $300 today. He was making about $30,000 a year, and at the time, Felicia's mom was working as a cashier. They were just getting by. But then when Felicia was in middle school, a tragedy struck their family. Her little sister was diagnosed with leukemia. Her mom quit her job to take care of her. My mom was with my sister 24 hours a day, every day during the week at the hospital with her. Um, and then they would switch off on the weekend and my mom would be home with me and my brother and my dad would be at the hospital with my sister. If Dilip wasn't already working a lot, now it was nonstop. The family was stressed, and without her mom's income, it became harder and harder for her dad to cover the hospital bills. And I heard him saying, starting to say, like, I can't pay bills because I am the only one paying them. Felicia was 12 years old, and with her dad always on the road and her mom at the hospital, she'd often be at home alone taking care of her little brother. My life seemed like complicated and in deep crisis. It was such a traumatic time in our lives. And this, this is one of the first times Felicia and her family felt helpless. Like there was no support, no clear way to manage the medical debt that was quickly building. But as those bills piled up, the family's community, their neighbors, relatives, people from school, had decided to become that support system. And they started a fundraiser. In fact, so many people donated that they raised enough not only to cover the medical bills after her sister went into remission, but to also put a small down payment on their first ever home. They ended up buying a two-story brick house with a small yard in Queens. Felicia was in middle school when they moved in. I was like, wow, this is a really nice house. And I feel really lucky to live here. And I thought it was really cool. Dilip eventually planted his garden and put up a fence. Over the next few years, the family made the place their own. But keeping up with the finances wasn't getting any easier, especially with three kids. 
Her dad would often remind them to not take so long in the shower and to not forget to turn off the lights. Her parents tried to hide their financial troubles, but even when you're a kid, you can pick up on what's going on in the house. Felicia would overhear their conversations and try to find ways to help. Like in 2001, after celebrating her sweet 16, she collected all the money she'd gotten from friends and family and approached her dad. I went to him and I said, hey, you can have all my sweet 16 money. Here it is. I wanted him to see that I was so, so sure he knew this was the right decision and he needed to take this money. I just said, here, it's okay, I don't need it. <laughs> I knew if he saw me cry that he would not take it. Her dad resisted, but eventually he took the money. And he cried. He cried for a good five minutes because he was just really sad to take something like that from me. But I wanted to give it to him. Even though they were struggling, her parents didn't want it to impact the choices she and her siblings made, especially the academic ones. So they'd pay for SAT tutoring, and when Felicia got accepted into a prestigious summer program that cost $3,000, her parents insisted that she attend. For the next few years, as Felicia finished high school, her parents' financial troubles didn't get any better. In fact, in 2014, they got much worse. And not just for them, but for nearly every cab driver. By then, two small companies, known as Uber and Lyft, had entered the scene. Suddenly, new drivers were swarming the city. Dalip would drive his empty cab around Manhattan, wondering why so few people were flagging him down. When I start noticing everybody looking at apps, they're checking apps, they're only watching Uber, and we keep moving empty. And it was, I said, what the hell is going on? I, I can't make a living like this. Studies show that yellow cab drivers lost nearly 30% of their income in the years after ride-sharing apps became popular. Dalip was doing everything he could to keep up. But just to operate the cab is super expensive. He had to insure it, pay for regular city-mandated inspections, pay for gas, maintenance. The city also has a rule that drivers have to buy a new vehicle every few years. And in order to afford that, Dalip would keep refinancing his medallion. And the loan payments for that medallion were steep. Altogether, he was spending anywhere from three to $6,000 a month on his taxi. Wait, that's so hard to wrap my mind around because I'm mm-hmm. like, if that's just what you're paying in order to have a job, essentially, then like that, that's not even considering the mortgage, the bills. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. How, I mean, how did he even maintain? I just can't. I mean, you don't. You end up pulling equity from your home or whatever you have to then pay bills or pay the medallion loan. That's what ended up happening to us. But that still wasn't enough. So one afternoon in January of 2017, Dalip went to an office in Midtown and refinanced his medallion for $716,000. Every month, he owed a $3,200 payment. At that rate, Dalip would finish repaying the loan when he's 92. Pretty quickly, though, he found it hard to keep up with the payments. He tried to cut back even more on expenses without really telling his family why. I don't want to give problem to them. So I try to minimize my living cost. Like, uh, I don't eat food. Really? 
So you just skip meals? Uh, I only eat one egg and one butter roll all day. My prayer is a food. I don't need a food. Did he know that, Felicia? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, he wouldn't divulge on any financial situation. It wasn't something we talked about. Um, but I did know that he was like not eating lunch and stuff because you he would you would come home and tell us that you were you didn't eat today because um, you can't afford to. Felicia wanted to understand the taxi industry better, an industry that was clearly making her dad struggle so much when they'd expected it to be their saving grace. So in 2018, Felicia started going to taxi union meetings. And that's where she'd hear story after story that sounded a lot like her dad's. So many drivers were massively falling behind on their medallion loan payments. They were having a hard time keeping up with Uber and Lyft. While the city had always tightly regulated medallion owners, they left ride-sharing apps largely unregulated. And soon on the streets of New York, there were six Uber drivers for every cab. Well, as ride-sharing services eclipse yellow taxis in New York City, cab drivers have really fallen on hard times. A rally cry outside City Hall today by taxi drivers, frustrated their medallions have lost so much value and that it's so difficult to make a living as a driver. And when Uber and Lyft took over the streets, their value plummeted, driving some cabbies to financial ruin. The group says the city must regulate app dispatch companies in order to help prevent more drivers from falling into severe debt. So many drivers, hundreds of them, couldn't pay their loans and were now filing for bankruptcy. And Uber and Lyft were a huge reason for that. But within a year, Felicia learned that the crisis facing cab drivers went a lot deeper than that. So many of them were falling so behind on payments because for over a decade, the cost of a medallion had been skyrocketing. For years, industry leaders had been bidding up medallion prices at auctions, basically artificially inflating the price. And at the same time, banks and private lenders were offering risky loans with complicated terms that were hard to understand. Well, a new investigation by the New York Times exposes the financial schemes at the root of the New York City taxi driver crisis. The report reveals that a group of industry leaders orchestrated a predatory lending scheme, collecting millions of dollars in the process and putting many drivers into debilitating debt. They'd created a bubble, and at its peak, a medallion cost more than a million dollars. A million dollars just to drive a cab. But drivers' incomes were largely staying the same, sometimes making as little as $20,000 a year. While industry leaders were becoming multimillionaires and buying expensive cars and second homes, taxi drivers were losing their life savings. It was so bad that it even led to a string of suicides. Around 2018, nine drivers killed themselves. Here's Representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez talking about it in a congressional hearing at the time. This is criminal behavior. Regulatory agencies knew, the city knew, and these suicides are not just an indirect side effect. They are a direct consequence of the neglect of a vulnerable community in New York City. In fact, we have accounts right here reported by the New York Times. One of the drivers drove in front of City Hall himself, wrote a note on Facebook saying he could not continue to live and killed himself right in front of City Hall. And we are ignoring this crisis. These taxi drivers need a bailout 
because this is not just about predatory collection practices. This is manufactured, financial, indentured servitude. And it is wrong. In Dalip's case, like many medallion owners, he was encouraged to take out more money when the medallion prices rose. The banks would say, essentially, your medallion is worth more now. You should borrow against the increased value. Drivers in over their heads and maybe seeing no other good options would do just that. They'd take out bigger lines of equity against the inflating medallion values. Already, hundreds of drivers had filed for bankruptcy. And now Dalip was considering doing the same. My dad had came to me and told me that he was going to file for bankruptcy. And I was like, what? No, that sounds insane. Wait, don't do it. A group of drivers known as the New York Taxi Workers Alliance was pushing the city to restructure the loans, to give them debt relief. Felicia would take her dad to protests and rallies, and she'd encourage him. She'd say, look, help is on the way. You have to hold on. You have to hold on. You have to be a fighter. I remember telling him this. And he's just like, I can't. I can't be this thing because I am tired. Dilip started missing his medallion loan payments month after month after month. And eventually, he was $19,000 behind. I thought the next few years I'm going to pay that back and then we can borrow back again. And, and his continued life like this as long as I live. Nothing gets better. I want to give up. It's not easy. Mm, things didn't get better. And nothing get better. Then one day in April 2019, Felicia was driving back home from her job as a school teacher. She was stuck in traffic when her dad gave her a call. And he's like, hey, I got to file for bankruptcy. I'm going to do it. I have a lawyer. This is what's happening. And I was like, what? I felt like what felt like a panic because I was like, what, what does that need for us? What if they take our house? I remember explicitly making sure that they were not going to take our house. And my dad said, no, the lawyer said that they wouldn't do that. Dilip told her he'd actually already met with a lawyer and filled out the paperwork for a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, which meant the court would now appoint a trustee to go over all of his assets and sell them and then use that money to pay his debts. At this point, there was no turning back. He was in bankruptcy. But to Felicia, it felt like he traded in one problem for another without clearly knowing that's what he was doing. And there was no advisory. There was just, here's this paperwork, here's what you have to do. The bankruptcy court's going to take on these proceedings, sign here, 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 and here, and that's it. And when you have people who are immigrants that speak another language and don't understand the complex language of filing for bankruptcy that's on a paper in fine print, literally, and not translated in any other language, you're going to sign a lot of things that you shouldn't have signed. Felicia knew she had to step in. That's after the break. With each passing day, it felt like the taxi crisis was getting worse and worse. Stories like Dalip's bankruptcy were not uncommon at this point. And all of this weighed on Felicia. She decided she needed to do something about it. So in June 2020, she left her job as a teacher to run for city council. No one knows systems better than poor people. No one knows systems better than immigrant working class people. We know 
everything that is broken and corrupt about systems. You know why? Because we had to navigate it. We had to find a way to survive. That's what I'm taking with me to city council. She decided to move back in with her family and pay rent. She set up Command Central in a bedroom upstairs. And that's where she was one afternoon in February, in the middle of a meeting, when her mom called her from downstairs. I was like, guys, this feels strange that she's calling me right now. Let me pick up. And my mom said, you got to come downstairs right now. You, you really need to come downstairs. She rushed downstairs, where her whole family was gathered in the living room. They looked devastated. She told me that there was a for sale sign on the house. I was like, what? A for sale sign? What are you talking about? The sign was right in the middle of their yard by Dalip's garden. And they were like, Felicia, the house is for sale. And I was like, I don't understand what you're telling me. It was like I was in denial. I I kept saying, I don't understand. I don't understand. Dalip was on the phone with a lawyer and was having a hard time following what he was saying. Felicia asked her dad to hand her the phone. I got on the phone with the lawyer. He said, Felicia, I'm so glad that you're the one that's going to be talking on behalf of your dad. I don't think he understands what's been happening. And like, usually when I do bankruptcy cases, the children always take over anyway because the parents never understand. The lawyer went on to explain to her why they might lose their home. When I interrupted to ask a question, he told me to be quiet. He was just very rude and just just really, really apathetic. And I literally covered the mouthpiece where I talk with my hand. And I started to hysterically cry. And my parents are watching me. And my sister is watching me just cry, 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 cry as he's explaining the situation. There are a few different kind of bankruptcies. But the one Dalip filed for, Chapter 7, is meant to act as a clean slate. The trustee, who's a lawyer appointed by the bankruptcy court, will go over the person's debts and assets, try to recoup as much money as they can to give to creditors and keep a cut for themselves. And in return, the filer walks out debt-free. In Dalip's case, the trustee overseeing everything wanted to go after their biggest asset, their house. But the lawyer told Felicia there was a way to keep their home. They could negotiate. He told them that the trustee would settle if they could pay $250,000. And he's like, yeah, you have 90 days to come up with a settlement amount or your house is going to be sold. I looked at my parents and I was like, where are we going to get $250,000? We need to find it fast. To keep their house, they had just 90 days to come up with a quarter of a million dollars. Every single day we were talking about how we were going to save our house. We were constantly like, okay, what could we afford Do we need to split up? Um, You know, who can live with whom? Where would we move? What would that look like? You're just in fight or flight mode, you know, the whole time. If the trustee sold the house, Felicia's family would get the value of the deed, $170,000, while the trustee would take her cut and give the rest to creditors. That felt like a bad deal to the Sings. Plus, Dalip really didn't want to sell their home. I never want to sell a house yeah. because this is not for business. This is to live. Right. A pass on generation to generation. Yeah. I die, the children can have it. Right. This is a family house. The more they talked, the more it became clear. They wanted to stay in their house. We were going to stay and fight. Not just for their house, not even just for their family. They wanted to fight against the system that got them and thousands of other people like them into this mess in the first place. 
the industry that had artificially inflated the price of taxi medallions, and the city officials who allowed that to happen. Felicia talked to local TV reporters. You know, if we could be a face to remind the city that, you know, you've neglected taxi drivers for so many, so many years. She called out city officials. The mayor most recently put out legislation or put out a plan for some sort of debt relief. Um, But that plan is not good enough. It was a terrible plan. And she called into a local public radio show that was having a Q&A with the mayor. Felicia in Ozone Park. You're on WNYC with the mayor. Hi, Felicia. Hi. Good. um, Good morning. My name is Felicia Singh. I'm a daughter of a taxi driver. Uh, My father has been a taxi driver for 32 years. He's done all the right things. He's paid his mortgage, his taxi fees. Excuse me. He's an aging immigrant, and he will never be able to retire because of the city's negligence. Next, her sister decided the best thing to do was to tell the community, right there in the neighborhood, and anyone who might be looking to buy the house, to make it clear what was happening and what the house meant to them. My sister had an idea to buy, like, those poster boards and just write, like, different things on each one. So if you were driving by, you saw a poster board that said, the bank, United States Bankruptcy Court is trying to take our house. One said that this was the home that I grew up in. It caused traffic, actually, around the neighborhood, around the house, because people were reading it, taking pictures. Some people were calling the, the broker and being like, how could you do this to this family? Oh, my God. And then the lawyer actually called me. And the lawyer said, you're sabotaging this process, um, and you need to take the signs down. They ended up taking down the signs and kept negotiating a settlement. $250,000 felt like an impossible amount. I was just really overwhelmed. Everyone was depressed in our house. There was not one person who was in a good mood. We were just going. And so I'm still having conversations with this lawyer every day. We finally had the settlement of 150, and my dad was like, we have to take it. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It was better than the 250. Um, and I was glad we were able to settle. So we settled for 150 But they wanted that in 30 days. Okay, now 30 days to find $150,000. I was like, okay, let's do this quick. How are we going to get that money? By this point, the Sings no longer felt like they could lean on traditional formal systems for loans. They did not want to go to a bank. So they decided to entirely depend on their community instead. Their friends and family set up a fundraising page on their behalf where they quickly raised about $20,000. But they still needed about $130,000. Felicia's uncle agreed to loan them some money. And then Felicia's mom decided she'd ask a close family friend, someone Felicia considers an aunt, for the rest of the settlement amount. She was like, hey, I'm going to ask this person for a loan. What do you think? And I'm just like, okay. Her mom invited their friend over, and they sat in the living room to talk. I was really nervous because I was like, oh, we didn't have a plan. What if she says no? Um, But I just was like, you have to ask. You just have to ask. Felicia stayed quiet as she listened from the kitchen. My mom just said, hey, this is the situation we're in. We have 30 days to pay the bankruptcy trustee in full. Um, Can you loan us money to assist us in this process? My aunt said, okay. And my mom said, we'll draw papers, we'll get it notarized, and uh, we'll pay you back. 
And how were you feeling watching that interaction? I think it took a lot of courage because you're in a place of struggle and, you know, asking someone for money is so difficult no matter what you're asking for. With this last loan, they now had all the money they needed to get rid of their bankruptcy debt. But now they would have a new debt, one that was owed not to lenders, but to people they loved. There was definitely a sense of relief, but it's kind of like we're in this circle of debt. Yeah. This like endless circle of debt, which I'm just exhausted by. They'd secured the $150,000 settlement amount entirely from friends and family. And now the final step was to mail the check to the trustee's home in Long Island. As the trustee's lawyer explained this to Dalip, Felicia could see her dad getting visibly upset. She literally wanted it in her hands in her house on Long Island. Um, So my dad was in a panic because he was like, oh, do I need to drive it? And I was like, we are not doing that. We're not doing that because to me that is shameful. That is like a shameful thing to ask people who are about to lose their home and had to take out. Like it literally makes me angry thinking about it right now. Like the nerve to, to ask us. You were about to evict us from our home to ask me to come to your house and drive, drop off a check of $150,000. Um, and I told him, no, you are just going to do one day postage. And I had him do that instead. You might think that after sending the check, they felt relieved. Maybe they even took a moment to celebrate. You know, they'd raised an insane amount of money in a short amount of time and they saved their home. But Felicia was still worried. My fear was whether or not we got it from an individual or we got it from a bank, the point was, are we capable of paying these loans back? That's the question. They've been slowly paying back their friends and family, mostly in small amounts and not as quickly as they'd hoped. Felicia hasn't been able to work much while she was running for city council, and she recently lost the election. Meanwhile, Dalip started driving again, but because he doesn't have a medallion anymore, he shares a cab with somebody else and starts his shift at 3 a.m. So he's elderly. He's 67 years old. He won't be able to retire. Like, that's just not a thing. I don't I don't see it. Um so this is, this is a hard place to be for everybody. Thousands of drivers are in Dalip's position, many of them at retirement age with no hope of actually ever retiring. For months now, drivers have been protesting the city, still pleading for debt relief. It all came to a head in October when about a dozen drivers went on a two-week hunger strike. Outside of City Hall, a group of yellow cab drivers have entered week two of a hunger strike. I'm so angry and uh, headache and dizziness and weakness. This is a sign of how, how desperate and how terrible the situation is. The drivers were asking the city to adopt a debt relief plan that would offer a city-backed guarantee to cap debts at $170,000 and offer drivers low monthly repayment plans. Then in early November, Mayor Bill de Blasio finally said, OK, we'll do it. The city struck a deal with the largest medallion loan holder. That means soon most drivers will be paying just over $1,000 a month, less than a third of what Dalip was paying on his loan. The city is finally rescuing thousands of drivers who were trapped under impossible loans, but only after they had to beg and plead and literally starve themselves. 
Like in so many other cases, the people who felt most burdened by the system were the ones who rallied together and carried the burden of trying to change it. The bailout had come too late to help Felicia's family, but she argues that her family should have never been in the position they were in in the first place, of falling into massive debt and having to file for bankruptcy. How would you respond to someone who'd say, like, well, your dad is to blame for what happened. Like, he is the one who chose to sign the loan contracts. Yeah, I get that a lot. I get, I actually get it all the time. Um, He filled out paperwork incorrectly. He should have never filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy because he should have known that that takes equity. Then it's also like, you shouldn't have gotten this lawyer. You should have done this. Did you talk to this lawyer and that lawyer? Um, It's never like, let me understand the system in which got you here. So I try my best in those moments when someone's victim blaming myself or my family. I I try to be like, well, let me tell you about the medallion crisis. Do you envision your family one day achieving financial freedom? And if so, how do you see that happening? Um, I know that's a tough question. I don't know. Um, I, I, I do hope that my parents will get to a place of being able to retire and rest. I don't know what their, we don't know what their lives have ever looked like in the position of being able to rest. Um, Mm. and that is sad. And the thing about Felicia's experiences, the thing that she and her dad keep coming back to as a sort of strange comfort, is the fact that their community essentially bailed them out. They were failed by multiple systems, but they were also helped by multiple communities. I'm lucky because I'm not carrying it by myself. Um, I have a community of people who are behind me and supporting Uh, I just want our working class communities to be in a place where we're not always in crisis and we could be at peace. Like, I, I think at the end of the day, whatever that looks like for my dad, whatever that looks like for my mom, whatever that looks like for myself, I, I so badly want everyone to be in that place. that is all for our show this week as always if you want to drop us a note with any of your thoughts or comments or your own stories you can email me and the team at uncomfortable at marketplace.org also if you haven't signed up for our newsletter yet you should do that we've got some great recommendations on things to read and watch and listen to you can sign up for that at marketplace.org slash comfort Our team is me, Rima Hreis, Donna Tam, Haley Hirschman, Peter Balanon-Rosen, Camila Kerwin, Phoebe Unterman, and Marielle Seguera. Megan Dietry is our senior producer. Our editor is Karen Duffin. Serena Chow is our intern. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. And our theme music is by Wonderly. Special thanks this week to Derek Soltis. This is Uncomfortable is funded in part by the Cy Sims Foundation, which supports advances in education, scientific research, and the arts. All right, I'll catch y'all next week.